Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Still more questions than answers after Hamilton was hit by a cyber attack on Sunday. We're also talking about gentle density, tent encampments, best wake-up songs, surge pricing, and cereal for dinner? Enjoy the GMH podcast. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Let's get into this cybersecurity attack here in the city of Hamilton. We don't know a lot in terms of when this is going to be fixed. What was breached? Any financial or sensitive data? Like, what is going on? This is day number four that systems and services in Hamilton are, are affected. You know, the HSR app. Can't use it. Not working. Emails. Phone lines. At the Hamilton Public Library, the website. N- not working. Now, the most important things, thankfully, are working. Like, HSR buses are still rolling. You can still get on the bus. The announcements aren't made. But listen, if you're on the bus, pay attention. I know that's hard to do sometimes when you're staring at your phone 24-7, but water and wastewater treatment services, not affected. That's good news. Otherwise, we'd be in a world of hurt. Emergency services, yes. Police and fire and paramedics, they're all doing their thing. And thankfully so, and fingers crossed, that doesn't change. But there are some big questions. And number one on the list is, how the heck does this happen in a city the size of Hamilton? I know there could be a lot of entry points in it, so let's find out. Marty Clucky is the city manager with the city of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Marty, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Rick? I'm good. Do we know how this happened yet? Well, we have got a team of experts working on it, Rick, but we haven't determined the cause yet. Uh, So they're working hard, uh, but it will take a little bit of time. Can you confirm that this was a ransomware attack or or hackers demanding money? So, Rick, as this investigation is ongoing, the city has to be sensitive to what information we share in regard to that. Okay. Can you tell us whether any sensitive info was breached? So right now, our team of cybersecurity experts are are working hard to determine that. And I can understand how folks in the community would be concerned about that. So what I can do right now is tell you that we are working very hard to find out that information. And as soon as we have it available, we will be sharing it with the public. We're also towards the end of the month. Friday means payday for many people. Are city employees going to get paid? Yes, Rick. Absolutely, they will. Now, in some cases, we've had to go to some manual operations, but we've found mechanisms to ensure that people get paid on time um, and that that's happening both for staff and in the community. And are they getting a full paycheck or a percentage? They'll get their full paycheck based on their last pay. And what about taxes? We know that people pay taxes either on a monthly or quarterly basis. Is that at all going to be affected? There are some impacts again. However, right now, the community can still pay their taxes through their financial institution and by visiting a municipal service center. Marnie Clucky is the city manager with the city of Hamilton, joining us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we talk about Sunday's cyber attack four days later. Do we have a timeline for when we'll be fully restored? 
We don't have a concrete timeline at this point. However, as I mentioned, we've got a full team of cyber experts and a team on staff working hard to get that information and to work through and make sure that uh, we've investigated it and are recovering our systems quickly. Got about a minute left. What, what services or systems are still impacted? So we've got a full website set up for this. It's a cyber site on or cyber page on the city's website. And there's a full list of service disruptions there. Anyone can go onto the website or check out our social media to find out what's impacted. It's being updated in real time as things evolve. City meetings yesterday were canceled because of this. There's a big council meeting scheduled today. Is that going ahead? We have a meeting today. You'll notice that it's been updated to have a closed session update, confidential one on this cyber incident, so we can bring council up to date on it. So you may see the other items deferred. That will be a decision of council. I'm not sure if we still have it. Go ahead, Marnie. We're hoping we focus on the cyber incident. And what time does that meeting start? 9.30 today, Rick. All right. Well, we'll have our fingers crossed and hopefully we can solve this uh, ASAP. Marnie, thank you so much for the info this morning and enjoy your day. Thanks, Rick. You as well. Marnie Clucky is the city manager with the city of Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton.ca is the resource to go to to find out what is still not working 100% and uh, what still needs to be done from here on in. Still, at this day, four days in, more questions than answers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Get used to hearing the words exclusionary zoning and gentle density in Hamilton. Sounds lovely. What does it mean? Well, it's a fancy way of saying that the city is going to allow more triplexes and more fourplexes in your neighborhood, on your street. So, you know, wave goodbye to the notion of having only single family homes on your street. On my street, for example, there are a few homes that have multiple families living in them. And what do we see? Oh, we not only see more people, we see more cars, we see more traffic, we see more safety concerns. Prepare to see multiple families living in the same house, perhaps right next door to you sometime soon. How does that make you feel? John Poldenko is the Councillor Ward 8 with the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. JP, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing really well. <laughs> Triplexes and fourplexes. Is this the missing middle, that, that buzzword that we've been hearing about? Absolutely. Uh, what we've been hearing from residents is that the affordability of housing is a major concern for many, many people across the city of Hamilton. In particular, I think about my own family. My kids are teenagers right now. And I really don't see a path forward for them to be able to afford a home or, or to even rent uh, in, in the city of Hamilton right now, where the average price of a home is a million dollars rent for a one bedroom, over $2,000 a month. Um, and also thinking about seniors that are, you know, maybe right now living in a, in a house that uh, they would like to downsize, but there's not a lot of options in their neighborhoods. There's nothing affordable for them. So as a, as a municipality, as a city, we're looking for every option available to increase housing, housing affordability And this is a mandate that we've really received from both the provincial and the federal governments as well. Um, The province, as you know, has mandated the city of Hamilton to build 47,000 new housing units uh, in the city of Hamilton in the next 30 years. And the federal federal government is similarly uh, encouraging municipalities to put in policies, planning policies that encourage the the, uh, 
development of new housing. And specifically, we just got uh, $93.5 million through the, um, the, housing, the Federal Housing Accelerator Fund in order to encourage the development of new infill housing. And that was specifically tied to housing policy that encourages uh, gentle infill growth, which is what this policy aims to do. I think everyone kind of feels the way you feel. If you have kids, I have two kids, a 22-year-old daughter, a 19-year-old son. And, you know, I, I think their plan is going to be when we die, they're just going to stay there because they're already there right now. I mean, the, the path to home ownership is extremely difficult from here on in. Will triplexes and fourplexes ease the entry into housing? That, that's the goal. And you know, we want to be as responsible as that as we can about this to put the planning commissions or planning permissions in place for new low density residential zoning throughout the city. Uh, what was just approved at planning committee was the second phase of that project, along with changing parking uh, minimum standards to really allow for a different kind of use within residential neighborhoods that uh, we perhaps hadn't seen before that was specifically excluded. And you mentioned off the top about uh, those multifamily housing uh, as well. And that's a trend that we're seeing out of necessity because people, you know, just don't have the funds to buy a single family home straight out. So they, uh, you know, it becomes a multifamily home with uh, cousins and uncles and multi-generation. Or we're even seeing uh, groups of friends gathering together to say, listen, I, I can't afford a house on my own, but maybe, you know, if two or three of us go in together, uh, we can afford space. And so this kind of gives a legal path for that to happen, where we can create legal um, separate units within what formerly would have been a single family home on a single family home lot. But are all these people renting? And if they are, like, are, are they going to be able to save to actually buy a house? Well, it, it, the policy doesn't speak to ownership, so they, they may have, uh, you know, separate ownership agreements or they there might be one owner that is in other tenants would be renting from them. Um, but again, the goal is the creation of new affordable housing units in a way that fits into neighborhoods. So there's very specific uh, um, design guidelines for this. So if we're, if we're going to allow up to fourplexes within a residential neighborhood, as you mentioned, you know, it could be on your street or it could be beside your, your, your existing single family home. We want to make sure that those units fit. Well, yeah, and that's, yeah, we're not going to put them uh, willy-nilly anywhere. They have to make sense for the neighborhood, for sure. Last one for you, is this going to have a positive impact on our tax base? Yes, absolutely. So this will generate new uh, infill uh, tax revenue for the city of Hamilton. You know, more housing means uh, a bigger, a larger tax base. It means more efficient use of the land that we already have. So it's increasing the tax density as well. So there are some, you know, really positive uh, things to this. But, you know, we, we also have to make sure that those things, those concerns like parking and traffic and waste collection and things like that are also managed responsibly. Good point. JP, thank you so much for your time this morning. Enjoy the day. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Have you driven past Hamilton City Hall lately? If you have and you were paying attention, you probably noticed a different kind of protest out there probably noticed a few tents that have been set up in the forecourt right in front of City Hall. This is a small tent encampment, and it's been set up to protest last week's decision at the General Issues Committee, in which, through a tie vote 8-8, eight to eight, 
said, uh, you know what, we're going to prioritize two city-owned parking lots in Stony Creek instead of constructing two buildings that would have 67 affordable housing units as well as 30 parking spaces along with it. Angela Voss is a poverty advocate who is camped outside Hamilton City Hall and joins us on GMH. Angela, good morning. Good morning, and how are you today? I'm okay. How are you doing? You've been you've been there for how long now? Uh, I started on Saturday night. Okay. So, I mean, the weather hasn't been that bad. Today's weather is going to get atrocious. Are you prepared for this change? Um, yes, we're actually bundling up and trying to do call-outs for more tents, more um, sleeping bags. Our stuff got pretty wet last night through the night. Um, so we're going to take it to the laundromat today and dry off a bunch of stuff so people can stay warm tonight. You are a, a poverty advocate. You are you know, carrying the torch for those who need some help, who are living in encampments. But what compelled you to take this step? Um, just the fact that every time that there's a project, the city of Hamilton denies it. And I think that we really need to work together and annihilate this project or this pro- problem because these people are suffering out here. And you know what? They're great people. They've been absolutely wonderful to, to be with here. Have anyone from the city come out? Councillors, the mayor, city staff? No, I've um, sent invitations for them to come out for coffee and muffins that they haven't um, accepted. At this point, um, maybe today they'll come out and visit us. How does, that make, how does that make you feel? Are you surprised they haven't come out? I am kind of surprised because we have been, you know, very gracious and offered to invite them out as well, just to let them know that we're safe and it is a safe place here that we've made for them as well as for the um, unsheltered friends that we have staying here. Angela Voss is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Angela is camped outside of Hamilton City Hall, right out right out in front in a camp, in a tent. Uh, there's others who are there who have joined the protest as well. And I know you have the opportunity to go back to where you, you know, permanently live. But what is it like living in a tent outside? Actually, it's hard. It's extremely hard. I mean, I have accessibility because I have people bringing us um, things and everything that I need. But if you were actually living out here and didn't have these call-outs for supplies, I can imagine just, it's horrible now, but it would be twice as horrible. They are just so appreciative. we got food coming every couple hours. We've got volunteers from the community that have come together in unbelievable ways. Um, even our pantry cupboard is stocked to make sure people can even bring food home if they're experiencing poverty. And and that is not the, that's not the norm, right? There's people living in tents who they don't have a place of employment. They, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. They might have health concerns, addictions concerns, a whole, a whole litany of items that they're stressed about. It's not fun. Oh, it's not. And you know what? I'm looking here and I woke up this morning absolutely crying my eyes out because I built a family here and these guys have treated me so good and have been here for every moment of hardship, of like struggling to try to get to the next meal, to the next whatever. I mean, I am supporting a lot of people here now. This morning, there's probably about 150 people out here um, waiting for breakfast. So um I am supporting them also. It does make it a little bit challenging, but I was crying this morning because they're my family. They, they've become what I've lost out of my child. Um, they give me that respect and that love. And it's just, 
I, I can't imagine leaving them now. It's just, um, it's really hard for me to imagine. So I've actually tried to call out to see if other people can help support um, and stay here with them because they do need that advocate, that, that voice for them because they do get bullied. Um, the second somebody leaves from here, and uh, I just can't imagine because it's beautiful. Honestly, the way that they've acted, the way that the appreciation, the value, um, they've given me more than I've given to them. And and you're coming from a place where you have a you know a personal connection to this. Yes, absolutely. My son died in uh, 2020 in June um, from an opioid. Um, overdose, but he was at Central East Correctional Center because he had relapsed um, and uh, he died in 48 hours because none of the programs and scanners and everything worked for him. So to see these guys down here is uh, I just want them to survive for somebody else, you know? And so how much longer are you prepared to stay out there? What what needs to change for you to say, okay, mission accomplished. We, we did our job in this respect. Um, if I have to move, then I would like to probably move to somewhere that we can permanently set up because um, I think this is definitely a need that somebody needs to supervise and help people out. Um, but for right now, I'm just trying to, to keep it here, um, because we already have it set up and these guys are, have moved around so many times and, uh, it would be lovely just to keep it here until they have somewhere to go. None of the people that are here right now even have an option to go to a shelter. And how many people are out there right now? Um, last night we had 60 overnight. 60, six zero? Six zero, yes. Wow. And we got about 150 out here right now waiting for breakfast and coffee. So later on today, and we're kind of tight for time here, but there's going to be a council meeting and one of the items on the agenda is this Stony Creek housing or parking debate. If councillor, yeah. regardless of what they decide, are, are you prepared to stick it out much longer in terms of getting your point across? Or when do you think your point is going to get made to, to those at City Hall? Well, if they're not going to do it, I'm just going to stick it out for as long as I possibly can and just keep finding volunteers and staff to exchange here. I can't move them if they're not going to give them homes and not give them options and keep denying everything, right? So um, I can't. Like, they become family, right? So I'm, like, super protective of uh, what we've built here because it is beautiful, and this is exactly what they need. And just before we go, just for our listeners' clarity, like, you have a home. Oh, I do. I have three homes, actually. <laughs> I have multiple properties um, in different districts. And uh, yeah, I have the ability to go home. I have beautiful animals that are home missing me. And uh, my husband, that's definitely missing me. But uh, he has to work to keep me going, right? So um, yeah, but this is beautiful down here. Honestly, um, it's been a pleasure to be with these guys. Angela, we're going to have to get you back on the show just to get an update on how things are going, whether it's grown or, or diminished in size and, and get a sense of how you're doing as well. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much. Angela you're Voss. Wonderful. You got it. Angela Voss is a poverty advocate, as you can clearly tell, camped outside with 60 others outside of Hamilton City Hall. We'll follow this story in the days, who knows, maybe in weeks to come. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When it comes to waking up, 
What are the best songs to wake up to? In fact, there's a science behind it. Analyzing over 600,000 songs from Spotify playlists containing continuing containing the words uh, wake up, motivation, and feel good, the study by Bed Kingdom ranks songs based on things like energy and danceability to determine the top tunes to kickstart your day. And researchers say a sound that starts relatively quiet and calm and gets progressively loud and energizing is more effective when waking up. It's like jumping into a cold pool versus slowly adjusting your body to a new temperature. Here's the sound that I wake up to each and every morning. If you have an iPhone, you know it is early riser. I feel like going back to bed, to be honest. Because when I hear it... Drowning anxiety by playing that, Rick. (laughs) What have you done? (laughs) When I hear it, I'm up at Adam. Let's get Adam. A study based out of Australia found songs in C5 with beats at 100 to 150 beats per minute may be most effective like this song. doesn't like the boss first thing in the morning waking up and going to sleep around the same time very important and and i've said this before when your alarm goes off do not hit that snooze button because the sooner you wake up and start moving around the sooner that grogginess will dissipate so let's get to the top 10 list of best songs to wake up to major tom has all 10 for you we'll start at number 10 tom the 10th best song to wake up to i've seen the devil sunset in every place in every face alright yeah. I can see waking up to this the weekend popular it's Playboy Cardi and Madonna yeah slowly will rise you to the occasion to get up and get at them number 9 on the list of the 10 best songs to wake up to in the morning I feel so close to you right now it's a force field I wear my heart upon my sleeve like a big deal. Feel so close by Calvin Harris. Again, these are ranked based on energy and danceability from Bed Kingdom. Again, they analyzed over 600,000 songs from Spotify playlists based on words like wake up, motivation, feel good. And these are the top 10 songs to wake up to each and every morning. Number eight on the list. you not wake up listening to this song and not be in an outstanding mood, right? I I am smiling from ear to ear because this is an awesome song, 90s pop classic that gets you up and gets you going. That was number eight, Spice Girls Wannabe. Number seven on the top 10 songs to wake up to each and every morning. Well, you might want to know that that is Travis Scott, I know. It's not a bad song to wake to. I, I need something, I think, with a little bit more oomph 
to it. And we might just find that on number six on this list of the best songs to wake up to. Come and get your love. Yeah, I can see myself waking up to this. Can you? Absolutely. How are you not in a good mood waking up and ready to tackle the day after hearing that classic? Number five on the list of the top ten songs to wake up to. A lot of songs from Guardians of the Galaxy on this list all of a sudden. <laughs> Rupert Holmes' Escape, the Pina Colada song, is number five in the list of the top ten songs to wake up to. Do you have any of these in your rotation to wake up to? Well, if not, you might want to check out at least the top four, because these will get you going. Number four on the list. Don't believe me, just watch All over Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson, Uptown Funk. That'll get your day started off right, I think. A little Uptown Funkiness in the morning. That was number four in the top ten wake-up songs. Number three, where we've hit the podium of the top ten songs to wake up to. Number three on the list. Let me tell you. You my little boo thing. So I'll give a hoot what you do, say girl, I know you a little too tight. I'll be shooting that shot like 2K, girl, I know. Tell him I'm, tell him I'm next. Tell Paul Russell, little boo thing. Yes, yes, now we're getting those beats per minute up. Now we're getting our blood pumping and ready to tackle the day. Number two on the top ten list of wake-up songs each and every morning. going this will wake you up each and every morning in a great mood number one on the list of the top 10 songs to wake up to in the morning is this i remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances finesse with some counterfeits but now i'm counting this parmesan with my accountant lives in fact i'm down in this do say with my boo babe tastes like kool-aid for the analyst i'm calling bs on this one kendrick lamar humble with a score of 312 in terms of energy and danceability number one on the list I don't know. I think that was like the worst one of the top 10. Tom, I see you wanting to chime in here. Yeah, there's so many better songs. Like, I don't, like, I usually don't wake up to songs like that. I usually just wake up to a guitar riff like this. That's my wake up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little startling for me. That's a little startling. Hey, whenever you wake up your day, you might get some inspiration from the top 10 list that we just, uh, had for you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's talk about surge pricing. Because Wendy's 
the third largest fast food chain in the U.S. of A, is looking at rolling out surge pricing, or what is being called dynamic pricing, in 2025. There's a fancy term for you. Dynamic pricing just for you. Now, for those of you who use Uber to get around, you're already used to this. Paying more money when the service is busier than normal. From Wendy's standpoint, they're going to use their digital boards, again, starting next year, to mark up the cost of a Dave's Original or a a Juicy Baconator when the fast food joint is busier than normal. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Hmm. Bruce Winder is a retail analyst and author of Retail Before, During, and After COVID-19 and joins us on GMH. Bruce, welcome back to the show. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, Rick. Thanks for having me on. What are the people at Wendy smoking? Yeah, this is a bit of a weird one. You know, I mean, this is one of those strategies, I think, that, you know, it may look good on paper. You know, some consultants may come in and say, do this. And, but it's not customer-focused. It's not customer-centric. And usually when you roll something out that's not customer-centric, it doesn't, it doesn't work well in the end. The first thing I thought of was, and I, you know, you, you instantly, and I think most people will instantly relate this to the Uber model is that there's there's only so many Ubers out there in a community. There's always going to be another burger or fries or whatever at Wendy's. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, you know what, monop- they don't have a monopoly in the market, right? You've got all the other folks. You've got the McDonald's, the Burger King, and a lot of other places. So they're not really in a position from a market power standpoint to dictate pricing terms like this to consumers. And really what this is about is them just trying to sort of smooth over demand so that they can make more money and lower their operations costs. So it's sort of an internal, you know, financial arrangement versus a a strategy that's going to enhance customer value. So from the money standpoint, we don't have all the details from Wendy's, but, you know, we're in the drive-thru, we're ordering a combo and we're getting all the fixings on the burger, maybe a poutine instead of fries because, you know, Wendy's fries aren't very good. How much more do you think this surge pricing or dynamic pricing is going to add to the final bill? Are we talking a few cents, another dollar? Yeah, it's a great question. I I would assume, you know, just throwing a number out there, it could be 5 to 10% more. But they also have to make it 5 to 10% less, you know, during off hours too, right? So, you know, if if you're there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a burger, you know, you should be paying a little less. But the thing about this that's sort of weird is that, you know, most human beings eat lunch at noon and eat dinner between, say, four to six. And you're kind of you're kind of forcing them to change, you know, a habit that's been in place for several hundred years. So it doesn't doesn't really make sense for me. Right. You're asking consumers to do something that's unnatural. The uh, food professor, Sylvain Charlebois from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University sent out a post uh, on X yesterday saying, this is just the beginning, folks. Get accustomed to the term dynamic pricing, where prices are determined based on real-time supply and demand shifts. Apart from Uber, is, is this happening anywhere else, Bruce? Oh, yeah, for sure. It happens in the airline industry. It also happens um, in the hotel industry. It also happens sometimes on different transit authorities, not in every city, but some cities, if you take the bus at a, at a non-peak time, it's cheaper. So this is this has already been seeded into society, but uh, it's, it's pretty brave. I don't know if that's the right word, brave, <laughs> of Wendy's to do this, but definitely McDonald's and everyone else is watching this carefully because if this does work, then you're going to see those companies jump on it because you can make more money by doing this if you're a... Uh, 
a food service provider. Speaking of food, would grocery stores be allowed to do this? My gosh, that's a whole other area. You know, they kind of already do a little bit of it in a way uh, by marking down food that's about to go stale. But but that's not really, you know, from time of, of shopping. Mm-hmm. That would be really weird. That would be sort of the next level, you know, if we ever got to that, right? But you're already seeing a little bit of that now as per Sylvain Charlebois as it relates to sort of almost spot prices for groceries, right? You know, based on crops and prices fluctuate so much now in the grocery, you really don't know what you're getting until you're in there based on supply and demand of uh, food right now. So I can see what he says. I can see what he means. Yeah, I'm eagerly anticipating how this is going to unfold and what the reaction of the public is going to be. I can see the social posts right now. Hey, I'm not paying $15 for, you know, a Dave's original combo. Yeah, definitely. And and it's up there. You know what? It's up there. I was out at uh, an unnamed uh, place with my daughter and I ordered, you know, fries and a burger and a pop. And I think it was 15 bucks. Yikes. And uh, it's just out of control now, the price of some of these fast food places. Absolutely. Bruce, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. On this day, a lot of people are waking up and, well, they're, they're feeling good. They're feeling good because it's Pink Shirt Day. And it has a, a really good meaning behind it. It's anti-bullying day. We're fighting back against bullies. And this all started back in 2007 at a high school in Cambridge, Nova Scotia. There were a couple of grade 12 students who noticed that a grade 9 student was getting bullied for wearing a pink shirt on the first day of school. So these two grade 12s were like, hey, that's not cool. They went out and bought 50 pink shirts for students to wear. They spread the message to their classmates. Hundreds of kids showed up at the end of that first week of school wearing pink. Message sent. We're not going to take this. It's now marked in 110 countries around the world. And as good as a day like this is in turning the tide, as I said before, I'm so glad my kids are no longer in school dealing with peer pressure and bullying that we see today. And thankfully it's gotten better, but sadly it's still an issue. And that's not to say this doesn't exist outside of school because it does. The question is, how can Pink Shirt Day result in meaningful action against bullying. What are we doing? What should we be doing? Tony Valk is a professor of child and youth studies at Brock University and joins us on GMH on 900 CHML. Tony, good morning. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. I agree. That's a great song to wake up to. Absolutely. Uh, listen, it's, it's great to wear a pink shirt today to support the cause, to talk about anti-bullying, but are we doing enough? Yeah, it, it's, uh, as you said, a really important issue that we've started paying attention to as we've recognized it's not uh, the rite of passage that we want everybody to have to go through. And unfortunately, the answer is we aren't doing enough to help those uh, who are really suffering from bullying. Those who are suffering, um, obviously, there's su- many of them are suffering in silence because they know they will get some help by speaking out, but they probably feel that if I do say something, I'm going to, I'm going to appear weak. Uh, you know, my, my friends might not be my friends anymore. They don't want to be associated with someone who's being bullied. It's a bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, when kids are targeted by their peers, they're really getting a damaging, hurtful signal that they're rejected by their peers. And that's not something you want to go around advertising saying that, uh, often the bullies are some of the more popular kids in school, and they don't like you. Um, they don't respect you. And so admitting that either to your friends or to your 
parents or other adults is a very difficult thing to do. And here's the other factor. And here is now a a new big uh, part of this whole conversation when it comes to bullying is when I went in school and, you know, I graduated college in the early 90s. I was in high school in the late 80s. Social media didn't exist. We didn't have, we weren't walking around like hunchbacks with phones and staring at other messages of saying, hey, you suck. Don't wear that shirt. You know, your hair is ugly. We didn't have to deal with that. These kids today have to deal with that. Absolutely. The online arena has really uh, changed the way that bullying happens. Um, It's unfortunately the case that kids who are bullied in person are then very often bullied online as well. So what used to be something that you could leave in the schoolyard is something that's now following you home. And it makes a real dilemma for uh, parents and school staff members about how do you step in and stop something that's not happening on school property, um, that's happening on a server in the United States or somewhere else in the world. Well, and that's the thing too. I mean, you see something happening in front of you there are there are a lot of people who are going to say, you know what, I'm not even going to get into that because I don't want to get, you know, bullied myself or punched in in the face or kicked in the shins by some punk student who's bullying someone else. There's people who just don't want to deal with it. Yep, that's very true. We, we did research on uh, why people would step up and defend uh, somebody from bullying and why they wouldn't. And that's the most common reason for people not wanting to get involved is the reality that they might become a target themselves. So it's a very difficult thing that we're asking students to do if we expect them to be the ones to have to solve this problem on their own. If anything, we should continue to have the conversation. It's very important to do point out issues that are cropping up. Uh, if someone needs help, Kids Help Phone is a great resource as well. Uh, you know, and talk to an adult. If you're a grandparent, a parent, a, a student listening right now, and you notice something, say something, get the ball rolling to a more meaningful action. Tony, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Tony Volk is a professor of child and youth studies at Brock University. It is pink shirt day. Whether you're wearing a pink shirt or not, have that conversation with someone. And if you see something, say something to somebody. If you don't want to get involved, maybe bring it up with a principal or a teacher or a guidance counselor, whatever the case is. Let's try to eliminate it. It's not ever going to be eliminated. Human beings at times are awful things. But we have a duty to ourselves, at least those who have self-respect and respect others, have a duty to make this world a much better place, especially for our kids. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.